0: A real saint elsewhere in honor of the Equalizer three in theaters this weekend. What do you think is the most underrated Denzel Washington performance?
1: I'm Katie Rich and in honor of the beginning of football season, I'm going to go with remember the Titans.
2: I am Matt patches and I'm going to go with a movie. I bet you guys haven't seen called the mighty Quinn where Denzel Washington plays a cop on a fictitious Caribbean Island trying to solve a murder and chase down a briefcase full of cash. Feel, very Elmore Leonard-ish. Uh, and he's great That's pretty good. Hey,
0: it's me, David the Seven and David Ehrlich's not here. And I would probably say something like Deja Vu because that movie's fantastically stupid. But for David and for the podcast I will make my official pick John Q. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine coming through fine too, eh?
1: Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through
0: fine. Good. Well,
1: it's good that you're fine then and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's hot podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, is episode 442. It is the week of Wednesday, August 30th. That is the day that in 1976 Tom Brokaw started as the news anchor of the Today show right before Labor Day. Tom Odd timing. Tom Brokaw. Is Tom Brokaw alive?
0: What? should nation cries tonight.
1: Is he? Is he? Pop quiz. Is Tom Brokaw alive?
2: I, I, mean, oh. I think he is alive. I thought he was alive.
1: He is. He's 83 years he old. He retired
2: not, I mean, a little while ago, but.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, like a month or two ago, a friend of mine was like, "Okay, pop quiz. When did Bob Barker die?" And I was like, "Mm, "2019, something like that." And then the twist, of course, was that he was still alive.
2: R.I.P. Bob Barker. At the time, R.I.P. Bob Barker. Yeah, Uh, years old. I saw an excellent tweet
0: that the dedication of keeping it under one dollar really went all the way with him.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, he was the highest without going over a hundred.
0: Perfect. (laughs)
1: uh we are here david is not he is on his way to venice he might be on a plane no he's not as
0: we speak he is not he's on the, to the way to tell your ride oh right. Yeah. he should be
2: somewhere in this state that came right off now. a little too scoldy i don't really care <laughs> <where David laughs> no he's not
0: and i don't <laughs> care
1: to excuse he's me going to venice.
2: <laughs> we don't <laughs> no i made mean that up we don't prevail david's
1: not here, here for for another reason that i don't know but we're here and here we have a doozy of a review to share oh, this week. Oh,
0: we have uh, two reviews on the podcast app that we accidentally skipped. So we're going to loop back because they're both five-star reviews, which means we're going to read them. And we have an email. Let's start with the uh, reviews from the podcast app. Uh, this is from Hair h-e-r-r-e i'm gonna say is the way to pronounce it uh and it is five stars and It says updated annualish review hi fitware team i'm updating my annualish review of the podcast in light of finally remembering to ask a question i kept forgetting to ask did you ever cover this hbo miniseries chernobyl i've tried looking on your website mm. archives but either the site was down or my wi-fi network crapped out so here i am asking all of you though i guess this is mostly a dave question And speaking of Dave, putting the music cue from Killers of the Flower Moon is worth five stars alone. Awesome. Uh, I wrote this listening to last week's episode uh, where you were talking about personal archives and the fact that you're all making lists of passwords. It's extremely useful future planning. My dad passed away from cancer in the spring. I'm very sorry to hear that. After several Mm. prolonged hospital stays, and he made an encrypted list of all his passwords for my mom, and it was immensely helpful in dealing with all the chaos that comes after someone passes. Thanks for being a fun weekly listen and for covering a broad spectrum of topics. Where else can I get heated debates about the prestige pick of the week with discussions of Baja Blast? Speaking of how any of you tried the hard Baja Blast, it's apparently now a thing. Keep up the great work.
2: I haven't tried hard hard Baja Blast yet. I don't have a uh, serves alcohol Taco Bell near me.
1: Yeah. Well, that sounds like something they might sell in the grocery store.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or First off, my grocery store does not sell alcohol because I live in a state that is...
1: Oh, right.
2: Uh... I will say when i was in the dominican republic not too long ago the taco bell at the airport which sold crunchy wraps instead of crunch wraps also sold mm-hmm. Ho- jose cuervo margaritas so that was something i want to see in the states there's a lot of work to do in this country and in mm-hmm. 2024 i expect to hear a lot more about alcohol beverages, to be served at taco bell and crunchy wraps with a y
0: yeah <laughs> Uh, to answer your other question, thank you Yeah, guys wait, there ramping. were better
2: questions here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we did, it looks like we did not cover Chernobyl. Did you ever watch Chernobyl, I, either of you? I have not. I watched not.
1: all of Chernobyl. I think watching it now would make you lose your mind. Like, I think it's, I thought of it a lot when the pandemic started, just like the idea of like how like government infrastructure can fail in all of these tiny ways to, to create catastrophe. And I think it would be like almost unbearable to watch now
0: yeah i watched it i watched it late but i did end up watching it but i bet that's why it didn't come up on the podcast because it was like had been over for a long time by the time i got around to it
1: But you watched it pre-pandemic it sounds like
0: yeah okay uh uh, speaking of uh itunes reviews this one gonna take a second five stars great podcast i am the architect i created the matrix i've been waiting for you we have many questions and although the process has altered your consciousness you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question may be the most pertinent, you may or may not realize it is also irrelevant. Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the matrix. You are eventually, you are the eventuality of an anomaly, which despite my sincerest efforts, I've been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected, and thus not beyond a measure of control which has led you inexorably here. Quite right. Interesting. That was quicker than the others. The Matrix is older than you know, I prefer counting from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. Precisely, as you are undoubtedly gathering an anomaly systemic, creating fluctuations even in the most simplistic equations. The first Matrix I designed was quite naturally perfect, it was a work of art, flawless sublime, a triumph equaled only by its monumental failure. The inevitability of its doom, as it is as apparent to me now, as a consequence of the imperfection inherent in every human being, thus I redesigned the basis of your history to more accurately reflect the varying grotesqueries of your nature, however I was again frustrated by failure. I have since come to understand that the answer eluded me because it required a lesser mind, or perhaps a mind less bound by the parameters of perfection. Thus, the answer was stumbled upon by another, an intuitive program initially created to investigate certain aspects of the human psyche. I am the father of the Matrix would undoubtedly, she would undoubtedly be its mother. Please, as I was saying, she stumbled upon a solution whereby nearly 99% of all test subjects accepted the program. As long as they were given a choice, even if they were only aware of a choice at a near unconscious level. While this answer functioned, it was obviously fundamentally flawed, thus creating the otherwise contradictory systematic anomaly that, if left unchecked, might threaten the system itself. Ergo, those that refuse the program while a minority, if unchecked, would constitute an escalating probability of disaster. You are here because Zion is about to be destroyed. It's every living inhabitant terminated its entire existence eradicated denials the most predictable of all human responses But rest assured this will be the sixth time we have destroyed it We have become exceedingly efficient at it The function of the one is now to return to the source allowing a temporary dissemination of the code you carry Reinserting the prime program after which you will be required to select for the Matrix 23 individuals, 16 female, 7 male, to rebuild Zion. Failure to comply with this process will result in a cataclysmic system crash, killing everyone connected to the Matrix, which coupled with the extermination of Zion will ultimately result in the extinction of the entire human race. Almost there. There are levels of survivors that we are prepared to accept. However, the relevant issue is whether or not you are ready to accept the responsibility for the death of every human being in this world. It is interesting reading your reactions. Your five predecessors were by design based on a similar predication a contingent affirmation that was meant to create a profound attachment to the rest of your species facilitating the function of the one while the others experience this in a very general way your experience is far more specific vis-a-vis love i that's our five-star review this
1: movie at some point no no you what's know, a movie I've never seen is, whichever Matrix it is, it has that speech in it. Matrix
2: Revolutions? You've never seen The Matrix yeah. Revolution?
1: I saw the second one opening Reloaded. night and didn't see it the didn't third one. didn't
2: do it one.
1: for you? Nope. I never saw you the fourth love
2: Mecha Otome, and I feel like... <laughs>
1: yes. It's weird to have been a teenager <laughs> in 1999 and like not have really strong feelings about The Matrix.
2: Katie, you're playing Armored Core 6 right now. Why wouldn't you be watching <laughs> Matrix Revolutions in between sessions?
1: Why? Why wouldn't I be? <laughs>
2: Why well, wouldn't you?
0: on our way, if you uh, can leave us a five-star review, obviously, we'll read it on the podcast. You go obviously. to the podcast, the podcast app uh, and leave us five stars uh, there. That's where we get to read it. If you have uh, international reviews, you can leave it, please, in your country and then send a copy of uh, what you would like us to read to fitwr.podcast.gmail.com. That's also... You could email us your various thoughts. Didn't we get an email? We did. I'm getting to it. Oh, this is uh, the tea
2: up I thought you were still the architect right now.
0: Uh, no, no, no. That was... Uh, I'm sorry. Just because I'm speaking fast, it just means I'm trying <laughs> to get to the actual podcast. Uh, this <laughs> one came Someday. in... It looks like six days ago, so right after we were done uh, recording last week's episode. Uh, but it's actually... About uh, the episode I did with Katie and then the episode I did with Dave. Uh, this is from Warpstone, who and the subject is appreciation. Just thought I would write in to let you all know how much I enjoy the duo episodes. Each week, I look forward to hearing the interesting takes and reviews from a group as a whole, as the interactions with each other are so natural that they can only be gained through being old friends. Then there are episodes where only one of the two, where one or two of the hosts can't make it. And a whole different podcast emerges, which contains its own surprises, as each host brings their own mini-segment, early review of a movie, bring back a segment that only a few would care about, or even an essay of an existential crisis, which they may have recently had. Never change, Fitware, is always a great listen.
2: I love that. That's good to hear.
0: We did it. We I made guess it through we'll do vacation it. I guess we'll keep
2: season. doing it, yeah.
0: <laughs> Despite what Matt Patches may wish. <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah. Leave us a review on the podcast app and uh, email us at fitwr at gmail.com.
1: I came up with this topic today because it's something I'm working on and where my brain is, is that I only have room for so many ideas. Um, but at the, the staff of Vanity Fair, as we speak, is working on a list of feel good movies. And that is a term that like people Google, which is part of the reason we're doing this. I think, you know, part of what we do like they to really do with film knowledge. I mean, this is what our SEO team tells feel us. feel and-
2: Good movies
1: yeah Serve and if you google there. like types of movies like best movies on netflix you're going to find a whole lot of hot hot garbage seo stuff because everyone knows these are things that people google and the idea is that at vanity fair people trust us and we would like to come up with a better list than this and so we've been soliciting suggestions from people on staff and there's a lot of stuff that i think you would probably expect like given the age of the people on staff there's a lot of like 2000s rom-coms like some teen stuff from when we were all younger but i've been really trying to like expand. What this list can be because i think you want it to be surprising you know not just like the servicey like here is where to watch all of nora efron's movies but like what is a movie that might make you feel good in a way that you don't expect or what is a movie that's feel good in a way that you might not think of initially and i think it's different from like comfort movies like i think there's movies like you could watch jurassic park as a comfort movie because it's something that you know and you enjoy but it's not a feel-good movie And I've been trying to think of kind of older movies because I think that's, you know, when you're doing a list like this, um, that's an important definition. But I put The Apartment on there, even though it's a really sad movie. I think it's a feel-good movie, not just because it has a happy ending. But I would argue that a movie that can make you sad and then pull you out of it is more feel-good than just kind of like a cheery I don't know, like 40-year-old virgin or something like yeah. that. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, like, I mean, what would you put on this list first well, of all? But like what how would you define feel-good for yourselves? I
2: wonder why why do you think when we talk about feel-good movies that people gravitate toward rom-coms, is is this a misunderstanding? Is this thinking that it means comfort, dumb, dumb, fluffy movies? No, and I don't even say I mean, dumb like in a the, rude way. I'm just like, this is no brains required entertainment you know like all looking at a list are. right now that's uh well this isn't really a rom-com but clueless or 30 going uh 13 going on 30. these are like comfort movies right these are yeah maybe there's nostalgia in play but
1: but you but do you think that they are feel good also
2: why are they what is feeling good that's... <laughs> <laughs> what is that feeling? What do people do mean by feeling your, the good? the current
1: state of your life of why you would not understand what no, feeling well, good we'll means. We'll talk anymore. about that.
2: We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast where I think it's very <laughs> applicable, but um I'm just like I I, I know what you mean that the, the, there's a lot of interest in feel good. It seems like it makes mm-hmm. sense as a category, but it like doesn't make any sense for art of any kind. Oh am I crazy interesting. here? Like what? The I kind of think you good? are. Yeah. I is, mean
1: you're objecting to like the concept of a happy ending. Isn't Like feel a feel-good movie is I think the one that leaves you walking out feeling like you have been like cleansed or settled in some way. And I don't think that's anti art.
2: peace. You want something at peace. I yeah. You know, well, that's like what would you thought. call Jiro Dreams of Sushi a feel good? I've is never seen just, Jiro like, Dreams of Sh- looking Sushi. Looking at sushi and an old man who well, it's kind of sad. He really has does no he, life, he and he's going to die in the sushi shop that he is running. And so there's a—it's tinged with sadness. But that was like one of the first Netflix streaming mm-hmm. movies. That's that's what Jiro is a Sushi reminds me of. And but it's like it's a, it just goes down easy. It's like it'll make you happy. Well, like twenty so look feet at from food.
1: stardom. Like is that another like documentary to think of where it's like cheerful? But I don't think that's a feel good movie because like, I think it's
2: <laughs> see nothing it's feels not- good.
1: No, but like, I, I think the feel good is a really specific feeling to me. Like, I put It Happened One Night on there because it's like the platonic ideal of a rom com to me. Like, a movie that builds up to a point where it's going to like kind of like gently drop you off on the high slope of mood. That's a feel good
0: movie.
2: Dave, what is feeling good and how does it represent itself in the movies?
0: Uh, singing in the Rain. <laughs> Amelie, yep, that's on my list. Off the top of my head. Uh, just because I remember leaving the theater when I first saw that was just like, Maybe love is possible everywhere. <laughs> so, like, I, I think that could generate to you. Uh, I think some of the Paddingtons uh, can get there. But, like, for me? me specifically, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a feel-good if... movie. Zero wow. stakes. Now, so... Wow. Good
2: guys win at the win, I just win don't think it's end. a good feeling. at the. Like, it's, it's fun, but I don't think it's feel-good. Katie, you're, you're convincing me that a feel-good movie has to have a second act that is sad and I'll one one a movie that well, that's my all mind do you yeah. missed our
1: discussion of red white and royal blue but like that that no, second was, act I sad
0: goes on I just <laughs> <sore> <laughs> oh, no, that's right. you were my, there you were just my in, a in my coma. hands
2: <laughs> um, believe it or not uh, so a movie that my my mind is wandering to is the station agent something I love mm-hmm. with uh Peter Dinklage and Patricia Arquette and what's his name Uh, Italian guy, Bobby Cannavale. Bobby Cannavale, where it's a lot of them just sitting around by the by the train station, and then some bad things happen to them, and then they regroup and they're friends again. And I I think that's like a feel good movie when you Mm -hmm. you have to remember that you have like something good in your life. When a movie can affirm the like simple things, I think a feel good movie needs to be very simple. Like I don't think you could have a feel good. Marvel movie. I don't think you could have a feel good, you know, we talk about uh, high concept comedy uh, but what we don't talk often about like low concept comedy and I think mm-hmm. you need Tom McCarthy, concept.
1: director of Station Agent, is especially good at those, I would say but like a Nicole Holofcener movie isn't feel good, even though it's a really good comedy Really? It, like, I think they are. Up. I love those movies, but like, it dredges up all the anxieties you would feel in your life and it makes you feel seen, but it doesn't make you feel good
0: yeah, it's like uh, you know, uh, friends who have a dog pass away, and you accidentally put on John Wick to be like, turn your mind off. You're like, oh no, <laughs> this is like about a dog. I had forgotten that part of it because of all the headshots. And mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, there there are ways I think, like that's what makes generic feel good movie a hard, you know, label to slap on. It, yeah, is it needs to have stakes, but it can't have stakes that could derail somebody's mood.
1: And I think it needs to have some level of cinema to it. Like when you talk about Amelie and singing in the rain, it's not just the story that's making you feel good. It's the craft behind it. It's the fact that you're like being transported and in the hands of a filmmaker who really knows what they're doing. Like, I think there are plenty of like kind of low budge feel good movies out there, but I think the really transcendent ones have.
2: Well, this is why Paddington has really Mm -hmm. taken. Those movies are incredibly well made. Yeah, that they look amazing and and yeah, uh, I mean, that new that great really musical sequence. More. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like that's like the beautifully filmed and like a treat. Like when you have like a hat on a hat, like at the end of that Paddington where you're like, I thought I was the most delighted I could be. And then it just jumps up again and you're... You're this, so happy. I think this year, most feel-good
2: movies okay. need a Ben Whishaw. I think it needs someone whispering oh, yeah, wow. and, and like you. I asked you. you guys to
1: talk about Passages, and you turned me down, but Passages is not a feel-good movie, even though Ben Whishaw's in it, so
2: heads <laughs> I up feel on that good. one. It good.
0: Uh, this last week, uh, Java caught up with uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and I oh reminded how oh what a pleasant God. time I had watching that movie.
1: Uh, it's me, Are You There, God, Margaret, a feel-good movie. I think it is. It's very like it's very wholesome and very loving, but it's like it's such a wistful.
2: Good I don't think anything about a teenager could be in the feel good category. There's just too. So you much... would reject Clueless. I would. I mean, I think Clueless is a lot of fun. I've rewatched it recently. It's still a banger. Um, but I, it's not a feel good movie to me. It's funny, and it's snappy, and it's specific. But I don't think it's feel good because I don't think. What about? I don't like, think so a coming like of age blonde. story can be it. Legally Blonde, hmm, because she's in college,
0: so we're not just not teenagers <laughs> having problems. But, but also, there's she murder. There's there's murder, but does she does she actually face consequences that you feel are life changing? I would say probably. She solves not. a great mystery.
2: Dave. Yeah, but she or, does and
0: she or, gets her, uh, accepted to Harvard. Content, oh, yes, Most you.
1: Harvard people probably would say that Harvard changed their lives.
0: I mean, yeah, yeah. And I I think that's also something that Harvard benefits from from the outside, having just watched the rewatch the social network last night. Happy birthday, David Fincher. But uh, yeah, yeah, like if, if it's just like a, you know, out there comedy, I think Legally Blonde could perhaps do such a thing. Uh, because it, uh, yeah, there's not a time period of that movie where I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm like having a good time. I'm but being does it make you feel
2: happy? Because I feel like feel good is about happy, not laughing, not enjoying yourself, but feeling affirmed and happy, like life affirming is what I think of with. I mean, it's no ombey in that yeah.
0: respect. So I'll give you that.
1: I actually have a like, like a, it's there's a wonderful life affirming
0: feel good. Uh
1: huh. I thought about that one because I mean, *It's a Wonderful* Life really takes you down before it brings you back up, and I think that's an important aspect of what makes it a really good movie. Um, but I, like the life affirming aspect, I think you need to go beyond a rom com and have community aspects to it. To me, I think to like really, mm. and like, *It Happened One Night* doesn't really fit that bill. *The Singing in the Rain* kind of does. But I was thinking about the movie *Pride*, which fits into our—I know we don't do segues, but it fits into our next segment. Um, you know, with the uh, where. Did. The the tagline is "Lesbians and gays support the minors where it's like gay mm-hmm. rights groups supporting like striking minors in Wales. Um,
0: eight, 1918 guy. I feel like there's a whole British strain of these uh, movies. 1917, that with full Monty.
1: yes, uh, and Hot Priest and various other people. Full Monty <laughs> Kinky Boots. Yes, full Pride, Monty vibes. Like, yes, these are good exactly. Good movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you bring a community of people together uh, to achieve a common goal. I'm, I'm, I'm always a sucker for that one. I think.
2: Yeah, I think it with when you were talking about Legally Blonde, I'm like. Studio movies past a certain era, like 1995, can't, I can't put them on a feel good list because they're not about real people anymore. It's all situational comedy. Whereas the British films you're talking about, or I was thinking about E.T., like another family movie. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm too like White Picket Fence suburb brain here, um, but I'm sure there are other. I'm sure there are other movies in other other types of of, of neighborhoods or other communities not so cookie cutter and American uh, that would fit the bill but I think like community is kind of important to feeling good like you have the security of community that makes me feel feel good not just like having a good time but then again a lot of people searching for this are probably not thinking about it this way and they just want to watch a fucking rom-com that they haven't heard of Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, and like that's okay too
2: that's okay it's just not my list. Come to Polygon for the real shit. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, well, we'll, we'll work on that.
0: <laughs> How about best movies that include the track feeling good?
2: Oh, what would oh, you put on that Nina list? Nina
0: Simone? I don't know. I just feel like I hear it a lot in lots of movies. Well, you wouldn't so put so that to... Nina
2: Simone biopic that never came out on the list because... It never came oof, out? That was I think it did
1: come out.
2: It did?
0: But,
1: but Zoe like...
2: Saldana? Ooh.
1: I don't know if it like ever opened in theaters or anything
2: i think that's what i mean by coming out I, but yeah oh like it
1: never had like a proper <laughs> yeah
2: release you really got me going dave what movies feature uh-huh. the song
0: repo man 2010 good. uh professor marston and the wonder woman 2016 uh oh, locked down. uh these are tv shows oh there's lots of tv shows like here's a chuck uh mm. scandal season five episode five Lisa, legion season one episode six remember legion mm, not putting that on the list all right so it's more it's more uh tv Katie, shows, did we I do guess, your work
1: movies. for
2: you yeah
0: yeah i'm done i'm putting
1: uh, i'm putting that
0: episode of chuck on there we did it <laughs>
1: Uh, somewhat by accident, we've stumbled into a mini segment topic about strike movies. Uh, I mean, by, by accident, on my part, Dave, you're preparing it for your other part,
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, podcast. There's also yeah. two happen- major strikes going on just in the <laughs> entertainment industry.
1: Okay. It's mostly that like Dave was like, I'm doing strike movies. And I was like, oh, I happen to have watched a movie related to strikes for none of the reasons related to this, Uh, which is that I watched Boxcar Bertha, which is the second movie Martin Scorsese ever made. He made it with Roger Corman, um, which I love the like 60s and 70s period where so many future very big deal directors passed through Roger Corman's studio. And he was like, make whatever you want. Just put boobs in it, Um, which is more or less what Boxcar Bertha is. Oh, yeah. A lot of boobs. Oh. Uh, and blood and guns and oh, you know, like you can you can kind of like God. feel the moments where he's just like, "This is what we're gonna put on the poster." As Barbara Hershey, uh, who is, I mean, she like seems sixteen in this movie. Let me see how old she actually was. She was born in nineteen forty eight, so she was, uh, sixteen. Wow. Um. Wait. Hang on. No, she was twenty four. Never mind. Okay, okay. Hang on. I can't. You. I can't do math. <laughs> uh, it's on Tubi. Or Pluto TV. It's very accessible to watch. Um, and is janky in the way that you might expect for like an early 70s Roger Corman movie. It's clearly made like because Bonnie and Clyde did really well. It's about this like somewhat true story of a real woman who was like in a criminal gang in the depression in the 30s. She rode around on box gun boxcars and she teamed life. up with these I know. Well, I don't know. It doesn't make it seem great. There's like sleeping in a flop house for a decent chunk of the movie. Um, But David Carradine plays this guy named Big Bill Shelley, who's apparently also based on like a real union organizer. Um, And kind of the whole... Middle section of the movie, it's Boxer Bertha, this guy, Big Bill Shelley, this guy, Rake Brown, who's like kind of like coded as like Italian or Jewish Yankee and then um, a black man named Von Morton. And they're like a bunch of communists and using words I would not use to describe black people um, being chased down by the FBI. So it's basically a bunch of like left wing rabble rousers running around the South during the Great Depression, robbing rich people. Um, which is just kind of a fun vibe. Like you see David Carradine like organizing strikes and giving like pro union speeches before he's run out of town. Um, and that's like pretty much the main reason the FBI is after him. So in this moment, this hot strike summer that we're in, uh, (laughs) it felt interestingly topical. Um, also just like pretty good. Like if you wanna like watch a movie made by someone who's young no, not in like I don't know. You see moments where you're like, "Oh, the camera wouldn't usually do that in a movie that's this cheap," uh, and you're like, "Ah, yes, that's who's behind the camera." um So I think if you know what you're looking for, you'll see it there. Like obviously, the topic is not something he chose. There's this like famous quote on, on the Wikipedia page somewhere you can find where like John Cassavetes watches it and he's like, "Marty, you spend a year making a piece of shit." Now go make your own movies. And then he goes and makes Mean Streets. So they kind of like put him on the path he needed to be on. Um, but it's totally worth watching and free and short compared to most Scorsese movies. But Dave, you've yeah. been going much deeper into strike cinema.
0: Free and short and a movie that was uh, blacklisted for a period of time. Well, not blacklisted. It opened and the only theaters that would accept it were like 12 theaters uh, in the U.S. It is called Salt of the Earth. It is directed by Herbert J. Bieberman. He's one of the Hollywood 10. Went to jail for six months. Came out, directed this movie. It's about a uh miners' strike in New Mexico. And I apparently got patches to watch it, because it is also uh very easy to watch. It's on your it's uh copyright expired in 1982. So it's on YouTube, it's, it's on Tubi, it's on Plex, it's everywhere. Uh Patches. What did, what did you think about Salt of the Earth?
2: I was really struck by it because it was not what I was expecting from a 1954 uh labor movie. It's it's just on the edge I would say of like being a PSA. It's shot mm-hmm. with this neorealism, like it has that Bicycle Thieves kind of uh aesthetic to it. Um and I guess what's cool is that it's about Mexican-American miners Kinda be it's it's layered it's like they want to go on strike in the mine and they know that they're already getting paid cheap because the the white workers don't want to do this, and they they get actual mexican american actors to play these parts. I believe i haven't gone too far down the rabbit hole on that one david i'm I'm not sure if you've done the research there, but um it's I certainly get the impression that, as opposed to like what might have been more traditional in the forties and fifties of hiring white people and like putting them in brown face or something.
1: You'd usually least... notice casting in the forties and fifties. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. I'm like, they would not often go out of their way to hire actual Mexican people at that point.
2: These these Spanish speakers are it's it's like just it's very authentic. And and then the the layered component is that the women in the community are also trying to fight for equality in their within the union and that is going on strike. So you just have all these complicated conversations that are happening and it's very it's shot in this very stark way um and yeah i guess it was just unexpected to you know it's probably in the national film registry because of the communists. you know the 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 hunt for all the commies in hollywood and the blacklist and uh that no one would touch this movie when it came out even i was looking at like reviews from Pauline Cale and she's like this is liberal propaganda I'm like okay Pauline Um, I mean people were not giving this movie the time of day no one wanted to touch it and you look at it now and it's like just this incredible document of it feels really immersive and I I appreciated watching it because there's no way in hell I would have watched this movie if you hadn't been like hey it's a strike movie that probably you've never seen great I imagine it doesn't
1: feel anything like movies from 1954 that you've seen before
2: I mean, it doesn't uh, I mean, feel like that polished drama. It's, again, that right. neorealism feel looks like they went to New Mexico with a bunch of cameras, but it's somehow a 1954 so, studio movie.
0: One of uh, the co-producers of this film was the International Union of Mine, Mill, and Smelter Workers. And in nice. 1950, they got uh, booted out of the CIO, the National International Organization of Unions, because supposedly they had been taken over by communists. That was the beginning of this film's problem, but because it was partially produced by a union, Patches is right. They went to New Mexico with some cameras. I think they only brought like 5 or 6 actual actors, one of which is the female lead and they actually she got deported part of the way through production because they were trying to shoot her down. Uh but the rest of the cast are actually um from the union that's being represented on screen. Some of them even took place in the strike uh, that this is uh, chronicling. And, like, straight-up, like, anti-communists were, like, you know, firing pistols uh, into the production, you know, from a distance to sort of disrupt this from happening. So nobody wanted it to happen, but it did happen, and everything Patches said about it it was what made me really surprised, because I've been watching lots of Union movies, and a lot of them are, you know, really about, like, uh, Union people being accused as communists. But this one deals with all those issues that Patches mentioned. The Mexican-Americans want to be part of the white union. Uh, Our lead character, Ramon, uh, sort of is the leader of the... the, He's the strike captain. Uh, But he also is against the idea of women being part of this union. But some old lady who was just watching the picket line just one day starts takes her knitting and just gets in the line. And she keeps knitting while she's walking around. And eventually more and more of the women join. And then it gets to the point where uh they get the the company gets a legal notice that the miners can't strike anymore they'll be arrested so the women have to take over the picket line and there's a standout sequence in this movie where the police try to break the women and it does not go well for the police um but yeah (laughs) sorry not to
1: laugh because like that sounds like police violence but also good for you women
0: yeah i mean it takes all the stuff that you would expect from strike movies which is you know the company fights back they try to like break them they try to get them arrested they try to goad them into breaking the law that sort of thing uh but it does go just like much deeper than i imagine most people's understanding of the unions in the 1950s went
2: i mean i was just watching norma ray which is a fantastic film with sally field that's streaming on max right now if you if you really want to just go hard in this lane and watch more union movies and strike movies um and that has an incredible performance by sally field at the the center of it and is more of a polished studio movie but what we're talking about with salt of the earth is like they're talking about the taft hartley uh like slamming the unions and it just feels like it's not propaganda, it's just in the weeds talking about how unions work and there's a lot of scenes of them sitting around discussing like what their strike action can be and then the company retaliating and all you know the Taft-Hartley stuff with Truman and and trying to set back the labor movements and it's so complicated, everything that has emerged in the, the labor conversation over the last 70 80 years um, and this movie gets its hands dirty and that kind of stuff whereas norma ray which is a really exciting movie and just slice of life it's more about the person being stuck Mm -hmm. in the unions i will say like the advantage of a movie like that is you get the emotional component more than salt of the earth is able to to really bring to the table i think where in norma ray it's just like why would people reject a union right why would this guy who comes in the in the movie some this young jewish man comes from new york to where norma ray is living and is like banging on doors trying to get people in the textile shops to think about unionizing and Bo Bridges, her buddy is just like, eh, I'd rather not complain. And I'd rather just be mad and drink beer. Mm -hmm. Like that is the biggest setback to labor, which is people not giving a shit and not understanding there being an education issue. And, and it can be a real personality driven problem. And I think a movie like Norma Rae does that better than, than saw the earth, which is really just like, immersive and in deep and, and kind of boring at times, but it's still worth documenting. <sighs> yeah, something like I,
1: Norma Ray can help sell people on the idea of a union better than something like Salt of the Earth. Like by watching the movie, you are more likely to unionize. Salt of the Earth feels like so. good
2: history and Norma Ray feels like stand up on the chair and oh captain my captain, different movie. Does um, I mean, yeah. she
0: literally stand on a chair with the I mean on a desk and she holds up a sign. union sign. Yeah. It's yeah. a great scene. Um yeah we are talking about movies on trial by content. Uh, this week and i really wanted to bring up salts of the earth here uh because child my content's about like what's the best movie you know like what's the most fun and all of that and i don't think salt of the earth is gonna end up being my pick because it's very serious but i was amazed to discover the story of this movie and i'm glad i convinced you to watch it patches katie sometime when you you have all the time in the world so katie, when you care about <laughs> the labor
2: movement in america and and <laughs> you can watch it too
1: Look, like, I just want the strike to end so I can watch Dune three. But Dune two, I guess, is what's coming first. I uh, could write
2: Dune Three. when the strike. Is over.
1: Uh yeah, Solidarity Forever. I gotta work for Maggie's mine no more.
2: For our final segment of the podcast, I think we landed on what we're about to talk about because we were here, last week we were like, we got to play catch up on some of the great films of the year as we start winding down. I guess it's four months of the year left. but We're
1: not really winding it, down.
2: I feel like we're winding down. Let's, let's go. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. you're going to have a lot of movies to watch over the next four months that are coming no, out. No, this is it's very a very real good time feeling. now to watch the movies yes. that already came out just in case. You were might be overlooking some some gems uh and david suggested that we check out a film called the eight mountains it's uh i believe it played can in 2022 and actually won the jury prize alongside eo um mm-hmm. so it's been sitting Oh man this and movie and eo, EO really
1: they there's a hit, there's a hand and glove thing there, there between these two movies yeah
2: Fair enough um i don't know when this actually came out It is a 2023 film. It may play theatrically, but the boon for everybody who may have missed this one or doesn't have a small art house that would have played The Eight Mountains uh, when it came theatrically is that it is now on the Criterion Channel, where I think we all watch this film. And I knew nothing about it going in, and many of you listening may be in the same boat, but there's some some well-known pedigree here to The Eight Mountains. We'll get into what it's all about in a second, but I want to start by talking about guy, Felix Van Groningen. Um, Katie, you have probably seen some of his movies. Maybe Dave, you have two. Have you guys seen uh, Broken a co-director. Circle Breakdown? Hang on,
1: Hang on. We'll, He has well, a co-director. Well, we'll talk
2: about the co-director in a second because it's well, the first then. time they made a, Eight Mountains is the first time they made a movie together. But Felix has made several movies together uh, with his uh, solo. Um, Broken Circle Breakdown, which is a big Sundance hit and kind of a light-hearted it's still pretty dramatic, but, like, not where Eight Mountains, mountains ultimately I always goes. thought that was a
1: big time. To- I've never seen Broken Circle Breakdown, but I've always uh, been heard of it as, like, a big old weepy.
2: It's a weepy, but it's not. It's, like, I, I would liken Felix to, like, a John Carney, maybe. Mm. Like, it's it's pulling on heartstrings, but I think it's, maybe it's, like, a studio touch or just a little more polished. Um, his follow-up film also plays on it. It's called Delica. And it was about like two brothers who were running a bar. And that was a little less successful. And then Beautiful Boy. He made an uh, English language film uh, that you probably saw, Katie, with Steve Carell I have and uh, Timmy Boy. Chalamet. What yeah. did you think of Beautiful Boy? Now, that didn't I would, quite take off. That was a bit of sad. I would
1: never have been able to tell you that the director of The Eight Mountains made Beautiful I don't remember <laughs> a whole lot about Beautiful Boy. No, they, they live in a great house. I remember the house. Uh, but I don't remember much else. So, yeah. Different, different experience.
2: Well, this guy from Belgium has has made all sorts of different movies. Um, and when I heard it was from the director of *Broken Circle Breakdown*, I think I had a different expectation. But as you said, in, for this movie, uh, he is adapting a pretty popular book by this author, Paolo Cognetti, and he is working with his wife, Charlotte Vandermersch, uh, who is an actor and they decided to in uh, my understanding and reading some interviews with them is that uh, they were going through some tough times in their relationship and then the pandemic hit and they read this book and they were like we got to make this into a movie and they decided to just work on it together and that like brought them to get like they had an amazing time writing a script together and so i guess if you're ever having marital problems just Think make about a movie together a book and make a movie with your. <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: think making a movie together has ever uh, harmed a relationship. Like that's no, 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 no. not once
2: in history. Uh, well, this <laughs> worked out pretty well for them, at least in my estimation, because the eight mountains, uh, kind of rocked, and I'll, I'll be I'll be curious to hear what you think because this is a two and a half hour movie. We were all like, oh god, two and a half hours uh, when we saw the runtime because we're we're normal people. We don't just sit and watch slow cinema all the day uh (laughs) although watching
1: salt of the earth and the eight mountains in one week really sounds like it was an interesting experience well i will (laughs) say
2: i currently have COVID, as i revealed to you before the podcast (laughs) and i've been in isolation for five to six days now (laughs) um so i'm losing my goddamn mind but i'll tell you what the eight mountains was the perfect movie for someone who has been in the same room for six years. <laughs> it makes days. you feel like you were going because, out. Wait,
1: so it makes you feel like you're outside, but also stuck in one house on the Alps?
2: It, it was perfect. There's so many feelings <laughs> going on here. So yeah. to catch people up, this is, uh, weirdly, Felix and Charlotte went and made an Italian language film. And again, my understanding is they do did not speak Italian, but they learned to speak Italian. European people can do this. Have you noticed this? They could just learn Yeah, their languages. brains are different than ours. I don't understand. But they went and learned Italian, so they could direct two fabulous uh, Italian actors who you've definitely seen in other movies. Uh, Luca Marinelli, who is in um, oh, what was the Netflix movie where they are living immortally, and uh, the old guard. Fight. The old guard. He's one of the Italian dudes in the, in the old guard.
1: Oh, he's the guy who's in love with the guy he met in the Crusades. That's right. Um, oh man, I totally missed that. He's very—he's like an Italian Jake hall kind of vibe.
2: Oh, exactly. Uh, and the other guy is Alessandro Borghi, who's just been, he's been in lots of other Italian movies, little movies, little parts, and maybe less recognizable. But uh, this movie takes place in the Italian Alps. Uh, and they went there. They really shot it in the Italian Alps, and it certainly looks like it. It looks like they must have spent a lot of time hauling camera rigs up giant mountains because the two characters who we'll talk about a little bit uh, in this movie spend a lot of time going on walks up giant mountains four-hour walks to get to cabins in the middle of nowhere where you just look at incredible vistas and the mountains are really there and you're like on a fucking glacier and you're just living on the top of these mountains to
1: go outside i I needed (laughs) to touch grass and instead of doing that
2: i touched the grass in the eight mountains now, the movie is very much about this. That this main character, Pietro, we meet him when he's a young boy. And I, I do you get the sense that he's kind of like, their family's well off? Or just like, yeah, they have enough money to like get out the of the like the
1: manager city. at a big factory and yeah they like
0: go, yeah, they they, live in he, his
1: mom doesn't work they just go like live in the mountains for the summer they definitely get so, some they
0: keep they keep acquiring property in this mountain town and they're just like yeah this is ours now and i'm like okay okay guys
2: <laughs> yeah so pietro's just a kid and when your kooky city parents are like let's get a place in the alps you just go there and spend summer there and you meet a friend and his name is bruno and you guys wrestle and like run around on the mountains and yell fuck you to your italian moms and just do little boy stuff uh when you are how old eight nine uh is when yeah. bruno. No, i think they're need.
1: about to I think they're 11.
2: okay yeah because they're they're kind of on the cusp of like needing to figure out how to to live a little because the whole crux here is that bruno is he's a real farm boy i think his uncle makes cheese his dad is really out of the picture he's not having a great time but he is deeply connected to the land he loves living in the mountains he is already as a youth thinking about how his ancestors grew up there he aspires to maybe make cheese he certainly knows how to you know milk a cow he shows his boy pietro the the mountain life they're living over that summer but without any like parental oversight pietro's mother and eventually father are like hey bruno we can we can help you you're great kid. Maybe we can get you some education. They really take a liking to, to Bruno, and that kind of weirds Pietro out. Um, and it becomes more of an issue every summer that his parents are becoming maybe just as close to to Bruno as they are to their blood relative son, uh, Pietro. Um, and this is where things start fracturing, because the, Pietro's parents want to help Bruno out and send him to school. Bruno must be... a, he's a like a year older, right? Because he's going to go off to school before Pietro, and they're going to be separated. This is a big and a crux moment in the beginning of the film, and you can tell that Pietro wants nothing of this. He doesn't like his father very much, who's kind of in and out of the picture. And his dad is obsessed with climbing on mountains and like living off the earth too. There's a whole Pietro is of- kind of an indoor yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's, there's altitude a sickness. Like, yeah, just they're trying to ball. climb a glacier, it's like, come on, kid, jump over the fucking r- I can't, rift I can't, the glacier. I cannot
1: express the amount of stress I felt watching those people jump over that glacier. It's, it's, that, this this going to be the part in. of the movie
2: where I watch a kid die. I, guess, <laughs> I thought a lot about you, Katie. Isn't, I figured this is what you guys do in North Carolina with you. You're always uh-huh, out over and glaciers. doing hikes. You are, yeah, yeah, You're constantly in uh, peril.
1: Uh, no, I have a, I have what I think is a very healthy fear of height. So this movie really challenged me in a lot of fronts. Um, I, the beauty and the terror of the mountains <laughs> really coexisting uh,
2: to, to speed through it a bit. I, I do think this like because a lot of people probably haven't seen or even heard of this movie. A lot of the setup is important here to kind of talk about where this movie ultimately goes, which is chronicling a little bit of this friendship and how it breaks up and how ultimately when it was a teenager, he wants not like he hasn't seen Bruno for a while. He wants nothing to do with his dad. He tells his dad off, and the movie kind of elegantly flows through time to show quickly show us bits and pieces of this early youth and then we just slam forward, and these guys are in their thirties and haven't seen each other for a long time and wind up reconnecting because Gietro doesn't know what the, that he what he's doing with his life. He goes back to the Alps and and meets Bruno and is like now is that because his father eventually exits the picture they had not spoken for at some time when in their in adulthood this is a bit of a spoiler i guess for this probably 20 minute mark of a two and a half hour movie but this is the crux of the drama that the father passes away pietro hasn't talked to him for a long time and suddenly he's gonna come back and like bury his dad and there's this cabin that they had when he was kids it's dilapidated he's thinking about maybe rebuilding it or bruno convinces him he could and maybe these slight, two friends can reconnect. Oh yeah, please. Slight There's connection a here.
0: here. Uh the cabin he didn't have when he was kids, as Pietro has been not been in contact with his dad, his dad's still been going back to the mountain town and hiking with Bruno. Oh yes. Yeah. So at some point the dad the buys the dad buys this ruin and tells Bruno who has you know learned to become a builder that he wants to build that into a house uh, eventually but the dad passes away before he does that and Bruno's like I'm gonna keep this promise to your father do you want to build it with me and so these two guys one one line that killed me
2: was pietro being like hey bruno i haven't i haven't actually talked to my dad in like 10 years and bruno goes yeah i know i heard i was like fuck (laughs) (laughs) damn you knew um yeah so that and that's like the setup because a lot of this movie Mm -hmm. is over the summers, the two of them coming back to the Alps and, and talking about what it means to be in the mountains, and Pietro is always going back to Turin to work in a restaurant, or he, he's, da- he's thinking about becoming a novelist. Could he actually write a book? Bruno says, yes, he could, if you just, like, actually follow your dreams and stop being an idiot. Um, or, like, this is... And then Pietro brings his friends to the Alps to see this cabin that the two of them built and you almost expect, and you th- like... And
1: you think it's going to, like, suck so much to have those friends up in the mountains. Like, you're expecting, like, terrible culture clash, right?
2: Right. Bruno's going to be like, you know nothing! But he's like, hey, let's drink one! We- I mean for everyone. Bruno, Bruno kind of is, you <laughs> Fuck, know nothing. Yeah. But, like,
1: it doesn't end, and no one gets pushed off a glacier.
2: <laughs> well, I think what what where the movie starts really meaning something, for me, is in that scene where Pietro brings all these city kids to see the Alps and, like look at this beautiful place. And they're like, oh, I wish we could be in nature all the time. And Bruno mm-hmm. scolds them for using the word nature. It's yeah. not nature. You haven't come to nature. This is a tree. This is a mountain. This is the river. Like, look at what you have. You can, this is a real place. It's not just for you to vacation. And it is not visiting nature. It's not touching grass. Like you can be here <laughs> or not. So I, with all of that set up,'m I'm, I'm kind of curious if this movie moved you, Dave I, in our in our emails. I saw uh, you you described it as ponderous, so I would love for you to <laughs> dig into that a little bit, because at the end of the day, like this movie takes its time. It chronicles a lot of like a temporal arc here for these characters. They grow old. they people lose a lot of things. and for me, as someone literally stuck inside, right now but maybe for all of us who are stuck on the internet we have a lot of tabs open we have a lot of things going on in our life this movie is about can you just go off and be part of the natural world can you live off the land could you be a mountain person like bruno or or is that too far like i think this movie has a lot to say about maybe maybe that's bad or maybe like where's the right balance between on the grid off the grid touch grass but maybe not too long What did you make of this really sprawling movie?
0: Uh, I kept waiting for it to sort of tell me what it was going to be about. And I don't think it was like really until the end that I could see the whole picture where it's just like, we're going to take you on a lifetime story of these two friends and stuff's going to happen. But the title is an allusion to this uh, sort of Nepalese uh, metaphor or question, like, yeah, I don't know, uh, philosophical riddle. Uh, where if the world is made up of eight mountains with a giant mountain in the middle, who knows more, the person who travels the eight mountains or the person who climbs the mountain in the middle? And each one of these characters takes a spot in that metaphor, and we're ultimately supposed to make our own guesses at the end as to what makes a more fulfilling life or who knows the most, what you whatever you want to make of it. But if it's pacing wasn't so ponderous, I think I would have taken one of the turns in the middle of the movie as like where it should have ended uh, because it's like, yeah, they're going to restore this house. So then there's this log secret. So they restore the house, then they build the house. And then they're like, you know what? This is going to be both of our houses. And I'm like, what a fantastic ending to a movie. <laughs> they, they learned to be friends again. Oh
1: wait, we're an hour in. Uh, yeah.
0: It's like, nope, still got a whole hour and a half left of a uh, movie. So the movie kind of keeps going uh, in a way that it, makes that part of its theme. It's like, you could have absolutely fantastic times in your life. You could have absolutely fantastic moments in your life, but there's always going to be something afterwards. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you hold too tight on the importance of a single moment, if you're too worried about not jumping over the glacier with your dad, or if you're, you know, too worried that, you know, you need to be, you should have never left this place, uh, but now you're feeling like stir crazy that you could get pushed into a decision that ultimately uh, isn't the one you want to make. If you're, even if you're too worried that, you know, people are growing past your mountaineering ways, uh, you could end up sort of making uh, rash decisions. So I was just, uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Maybe not while I was watching it, but by the end, when I got to see the whole picture of it, it's just a really nice, thoughtful drama about a male friendship where like there isn't a crime uh, they're not stealing each other's women. They're not arguing about stealing each other's women. You know, it's none of the, uh, usual boxes I would tick for like, and we need a conflict here. Yeah. Uh, it, instead it builds to what should be a conflict, but they deal with it as friends. And it was just really nice to sort of see a movie about friendship and, uh, two people, uh, finding each other, at least two people. Cause it really is centered on these two characters, even though there's some, uh, pretty amazing women that feel dad, like in the orbit. I, I do
2: think the dad is like a third egg here. Is,
0: yes. Like, even though
2: he's not in the ton of the movie, his specter looms large and yeah. the relationships there are I mean, they, they keep getting resurrected um, yeah. and, and yeah. framing a lot of the conversations the, the guys are having. Sorry, Katie, I want, want you to talk about
1: um, No, I a think feel-good
2: that- movie in my opinion.
1: you uh, feel great. <laughs> um, I think the scope of the movie is part of what makes it so moving, like that you have all this time with them as kids. You have this incident of jumping over the glacier that really is kind of the whole movie in a nutshell. It sets up this dynamic between Pietro and Bruno that's going to last the rest of their lives, where Bruno's the kid who could jump over the glacier and Pietro isn't. Um, and then taking the time to show you what happens after the thing that's the resolution, because there's this period where you feel like one of them really has his life worked out and he's got it all done, and then Change because that's what happens in the world, and having that perspective, like it's you know, there's a point of the movie where kind of it winds up in Nepal, and there's kind of the idea of like I'm a young man and I'm going to go find myself, and you're like, okay, but I I think that perspective, the way that it kind of expands out and out, it's not just limited to like Pietro learning who he wants to be, but kind of understanding people and sides of them that you don't know, which is part of the journey of the dad that you're talking about. Where at one point Pietro's like, I had two fathers, like the mountain father who I like barely saw, but I understood better than the one I actually lived with the rest of the year. Um, And so there's like a facile version of like you're a different person when you're on vacation. But I think of really real way that landscape and location can change people and bring things out in people that like when you have the time and just all those moments of looking at those mountains, like you kind of feel it to yourself. You're like, ah, oh, I could be a mountaineer. I could be like a city woman who could like move out and milk <laughs> the cows and have a beautiful toddler who This is what you did. You left quietly. the city.
2: What <laughs> is do. it? North Carolina. This uh, is not the same. The
1: Alps. It looks just like the Alps, obviously. Um no, I I really like this movie a lot. Like I thought it just the the sweep of it really brought me in. Um two and a half hours is a lot to commit to, but I mean truly that scenery helps. It is so so beautiful, yeah. it, like it's so stuns beautiful. you,
0: and not as much, not as many drone shots as I was expecting. There are some where I'm yeah. like, okay, cool, but then the rest, like Patches was saying, the, the glacier thing terrified. There's going to be a child that fell down mm-hmm. a crevasse, but also I'm like, did you? put the tripod with legs on both sides of the thing? I, like, how are you 12. even shooting this?
1: I, like, I would love to see a behind-the-scenes video of them. Like, like, there's a lot of sequences of donkeys carrying construction equipment up the hill, and I'm like, do the donkeys carry the cameras? Like, is that actually gonna didn't. get something up there?
2: Honestly, I think there was a lot of that, based on the minimal reading I've done. But, like, yeah, yeah. they hauled shit to the top of mountains, and it's really effective. I, while watching the movie, I was just like, we don't get a lot of poetry in movies do we i mean we obviously that's a very silly thing to say but like show me mountains show me real mm-hmm. mountains it's so effective like m- what this movie would be if they tried to fake it i i can't imagine the cheat version of this but watching pietro climb a mountain and stand there and be like is this my life yeah you feel that. In yeah and and uh academy ratio has a lot mm-hmm. to do with that too like we get big you, boxy mountain shots.
1: i'm interested awesome. in what you think the academy ratio adds there because you would absolutely expect it to be like full sound of music
2: widescreen i mean vertical that's that's the mm. goal right like yeah
1: they, they should have just shot it in the iphone vertical format obviously <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then you'd lose the these are thick mountains you know they've got <laughs> these are mountains uh what i yeah
0: I didn't really appreciate just, just the Academy ratio, uh, in general, because it, 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 instead of being like, you know, here is a Vista, like there's a pretty con- when they do pans across Vistas of which there are many in this two and a half hour movie. Uh, it's all like a very consistent motion. And I appreciated, you know, the square view. There was a period of time right when this movie ended where I'm like, do I dislike like, anamorphic widescreen like is that too is that like looking through a slit when you're talking about like movies about mountains like there are times where they're just hanging out they're laying down on the side of the mountain but they're at like a 45 degree angle so that their heads are at the top of the frame and that their feet are at the bottom of the frame and there's mountains going on forever in the background and I'm just like you know what widescreen would add zero to this yeah if it for
2: westerns um <laughs> what, do, what do you guys think of the performances here i mean it really rests on these two actors and there's just a lot of like sitting around talking i've seen i was going down the the letterbox path to see what other people were thinking about this movie and there was a lot of hey they made the platonic broke back or why don't they kiss uh um, yeah. which i think would be str- like it's not, it would be strange like you could do the gay romantic version of this but it, as you said david it's really about friendship it's really about Two guys living in their own bubbles and then coming together every so often, like friends of of childhood especially do like you don't get to see your childhood friends all the time, but I would say if i if I see mine, like those c- connections spark again, and I'm always interested mm-hmm. in like what so, so much of the life I've missed of these people they they really these two guys form a, a deep connection that is recognizable as friendship, not romance um and i think there's something intriguing about that but i wonder like why do you think it well I, maybe you don't like the performances but what do you what, what do you make of these two guys what, is it successful or why
1: i mean i think mm. the performances contribute to the movie but it's a lot in the editing a lot in like they're sitting by a fire and you are encouraged to think of what's on their mind less from the performance just from how the movie's put together not that they're bad i mean also it's like Anytime you're judging a performance in a foreign language, you're like, I think I get it, but like you're gonna miss <laughs> parts of it. Um, but yeah, they're both they're both very good on it. I don't know that that would be like the top thing I would come out walking, come out talking about.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Katie's right in the sense that there's uh, excellent storyteller's hand. Uh, there's pretty good use of voiceover because again, this is being adapted from a novel, so when we need to get in somebody's head they make sure we don't miss the thing. Uh, but everything else I sort of feel like is the magic, the the magic of the montage. Um, the performances are good, uh, at, I think, especially, uh, the guy that plays Pietro at starting off with awe and then settling into everything sort of being normal. Uh, there's a part of the movie where he decides he's going to go on all the hikes that, uh, his dad and bruno went on and sort of like beginning and he finds a uh, you know top of the mountain diary which is so cool uh, do all mountains do that i've been to the top oh of God. some mountains i, uh, I think missed, you gotta climb the really the, diary. the
1: really tough ones <laughs> yeah, yeah going
0: on hard enough mountains but he starts putting like the stuff of his father together and because it's like a montage when he finds the first one it's like a very moving moment for him yeah. but then when he like that's finds where the last i thought one, the movie was gonna end and yeah he's so like it's nope. time to go. <laughs> done with my father it's like nope yeah but you're not done with your life or your friend um yeah i i don't there's not like a moment in the movie where i'm like they hit this performance mm. specifically um uh, there's it's almost some, too natural
2: like... to have like a standout moment like that
0: yeah there's like there's like some yeah. intense moments but a lot of them take place like mostly in the dark because they're on the side of a fucking mountain uh and then there's like a great moment where they're both drunk together that the performances are really like that level of
2: drunk uh that I appreciate. Uh, that made me really wanna drink grappa until yes. like two AM.
0: <laughs> I like a I yes. like
2: a drinking too much scene that makes me want to drink a little too yeah. much. Yeah be like oh yeah. that looks fun also i'm in no, a room I'm, with no people I'm, human contact for six days I'm scrolling
1: through the letterbox reviews
2: it <laughs> oh, is funny might be making a mistake many, there um, I mean, just
1: like that, you know they don't have to make out you know they don't that's have so, to just, make that's out that's just so it i wonder, wonder how many letterbox reviews include why don't they kiss which like how is could, a valid how, question
0: How can we live in a society that's like there's too much sex in movies, but also why don't the guys (laughs) in the eight mountains make out? They want them to
1: chastely make out but then cut away very quickly, obviously, because people can't handle sex Just
2: little smooches. Uh, (laughs) I have two wrap-up things here for you guys. Uh, One, did you also loathe Pietro's 90s haircut to the point where I almost turned the movie off? I'm like, if if I have to watch this 16-year-old boy with his Leonardo DiCaprio... It's very like accurate. What? I know. You don't want him too, to it be. It was unsettling. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, I couldn't handle it. I feel like you see that kid for like 10 minutes. Like, it's, he's on and out so fast. He was like
2: Italian Sean Hunter. I just could that's, not. Please never let that haircut come back.
0: That's teenage Pietro, though, like, who has the shitty haircut, who tells mm-hmm. his dad he knows everything about him. Like, uh, that made. I'm on teenage. The haircut was a. Yeah, it made, made sense to me as a, as a character moment do you uh, feel like
1: you wish you were a bruno but you know your heart you're a pietro i feel like there's not like a real a team well element to that's this. an interesting
2: question because obviously bruno is of the earth but you know i hope this and you were of, of your house a, i hope this isn't too much of a, of a of a spoiler for people who haven't seen it yet but like there are some confrontational moments later in the film where it becomes clear that like bruno is too of the earth
1: Sure. And yes. He
2: criticizes Pietro a lot for being kind of stuck in the past and like move forward, do the things that you want to do, activate yourself. And Bruno has done that; he starts his own cheese shop, just gonna fucking do it. But he then things start going sour. The milk, no. Um, he, <laughs> that that he's like two of the earth. He can't. He keeps talking about his ancestors. He can't leave the mountains because he is a mountain man, and that really got me like that That shook me up too, that we can fantasize of being off the grid and of the earth and but maybe that's not the best thing all the time. We need to figure out what we actually want, what we're what we like, and I mean, believe I, ourselves and stop fantasizing about what other people have, um even if i don't yeah i don't know even if it's beautiful. i don't
0: think I don't think the movie answers the 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 no. riddle of the eight mountains, uh but it definitely gets you thinking about it, so I like. I appreciate where the movie ends up, but both of these guys did like a very nice thing with their lives because, again, no crime, no murder. Everyone <laughs> usually has the best intentions. See, it's a
2: feel-good movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. My my last question though is: Would you live in the cabin that takes four hours to hike to from town on the side of the Alps that has one light bulb powered by? uh the river next nearby i think mm-hmm. is what they call you well would you stay Only there during Katie? The spring. is that homey? would i
1: stay there would
2: you stay there for the summer
1: oh for the entire summer no
2: are you a camping
1: person yeah i was i've been thinking about i went on a um rafting trip in idaho uh like very early in the life of this podcast like 2011 and there is like one day where we got down the river and there's like a ranger station out by the river like There are no roads like you have to take like an plane to an airstrip to get to this place. And there's this man who lives in that ranger station all summer. And he like occasionally saw people like us on the raft and like, I guess, went out and like helped make sure that nothing was going wrong. And I think about that guy a lot about like him spending the entire summer by himself in this cabin. And sometimes I think I would do it. And sometimes I think I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't think I could do a full summer. Maybe
2: like
0: a month, maybe a month.
2: Dave, you are you a camping guy? I've never heard of you going camping. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I did go camping a bit. I did my camping experiences, both with family and uh, lots with Boy Scouts. If you are in Boy That's Scouts... That's not modern
2: times, camp- though. Uh,
0: n- no? No. I mean, like, Unless I don't camp... you're still camp- in Boy
2: Scouts. I, I don't know. If you are.
0: Uh, fair enough. Uh, no, I'm not still in Boy Scouts. Yeah, I don't... Mo- I'm not a modern camper. Uh, I like day visits to nature, but I like hmm. coming back to somewhere that has internet that... that I'm very happy with that.
2: Yeah, if you can't ha- play Marvel Snap, why even live? Uh, <laughs> I I feel the same way. I like I, seeing this movie. I'm just like, I would love to just be at the top of a mountain right now. Yes. I love a beach. I love a mountain. I love nature. I just love being in the woods. I was a wood kid when I was a kid. just like running in the woods. But yeah. for some reason, I am not a camper at all. And I, the and I and I'm not a hiker. Like I see, I'll log on Instagram or something and be like, "Oh, I have friends out there who have the backpacks, going with the hats out, and the, got the walking sticks, doing a hike. We're going on a big hike. Hey, I just did oh, eight I... miles up a fucking mountain." I'm like, "What? <laughs> I that like hiking. Just like, I, I like hiking too, but it just seems like a lot. I, the gear. Nothing about gear is a real turnoff to to the hiking hobby for me. I don't want to. I don't want a lot of gear." I want to run free. I want to do it naked. Oh. I, know. Mean, I, actually, Alps, I actually watched naked, uh, half of this movie while in a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> I want to share that. And highly recommend having a nice little bath and putting your putting a computer next to you and watching a movie. Would I've you swim in that, that cold-ass alpine lake? <laughs> I thought about that, too. There's This happens every time in a movie. People go swimming in lakes, and they're like, it's so cold! Like, lakes why are did cold. You do that? Yeah, lakes are cold. I've am I'm not. I've never I swam in a lake. What? I'm not sure I have. You're from Pennsylvania. There's so many lakes like, in Pennsylvania. No, they are not. not. Not on not Eastern Pennsylvania, I don't think. Wow. I've, I've swam never in a swam lot of damned in a lakes. Lake. damn lakes. Damn lakes. That's
0: <laughs> outrageous. We're
1: Dave, you that. swim in
2: a lake? Oh, yeah. I
0: have family in Minnesota. What else? <laughs> land of lakes? lakes. We swam in lots of lakes. Lakes are great.
2: I don't want to swim in a lake. I want to go to the ocean.
1: Nah, lakes are great. I mean, They're peaceful. You can float. Go early enough in the morning. The lake's totally still. In an ocean. Yeah, but also, there's the, waves to mess with The you. oceans there's are the sharks. ones with
0: predators. Yeah, it's sharks. The- <laughs> okay. Dave's a Colorado boy. He's he's scared of the ocean. It's very logical. <laughs> yes. No. You don't. God. That's where the sharks and Godzilla are. Lakes are fine. <laughs>
2: Guys, this is why the Eight Mountains two and a half hours long because you can just wind through these Mm -hmm. digressions and you get
1: you get to godzilla eventually
2: uh (laughs) the eight mountains it's on criterion channel it might make your top 10 of the year if you watch it now before the before the the mainstream media tells you what to like so go Mm. watch a great film
1: That does it for this week's podcast. Should we say what we're going to talk about next week? Now that we're doing all this like 2023 catch up, so people can watch it with us. Yeah,
0: we're
1: going to watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is on Hulu.
0: Hulu. And I don't
1: know a whole lot else about it, so I look forward to learning. I wouldn't look anything watching How to Blow Up a Pipeline.
2: Let that one surprise you.
1: It is not two and a half hours.
2: It is not. It's a tight ninety, I believe.
1: Nice. All right. So watch along with us. Join us next week, David. I think we'll still be gone. Uh,
2: Hopefully. No, no, we want him back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll get him back eventually. Um, In the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I am Matt Patches, executive editor over at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Letterboxd, Mr. Patches, and we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, or you can listen to old episodes of the podcast, plenty of feel-good movies in the archives. Can you think of one? Uh uh, rabbit hole. No, never mind. Uh, Fighting in the worm <laughs> infinity
0: pool. Uh, and I'm uh, Dave Gonzalez. You could follow me on Twitter at da7e. You could follow David Ehrlich on that website at David Ehrlich. You could leave us a review in the podcast app, uh, where we will read it. Uh, as the architect showed us this episode, you could also email us at fitwr at gmail. Dot com. and if you want to read my Marvel book, go to the Sitting. book.com.
1: Sitting. use a visual aid on this audio medium. Sitting next to a copy of Dave's oh, Marvel book as we speak. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're talking about festival movies. There's a lot of them. Um, I'll be in Toronto next week. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich. I'm on Blue Sky also at Katie Rich. Uh, I have a Threads account. I'm not using it. Who cares? Um... You can find us all on Twitter at FITWR. We're also on BlueSky at FITWR, an account I started last week after this podcast and have not touched you should, since. You
2: should message something. I, I, I can't say tweet something from BlueSky. I think I
1: did post something.
2: Skeet something? Uh, skeet. I, don't do, skeet something. Just, I don't want to do it. I'll just
1: remember that. to do it every week after I'm not even log in. I'm trying to log into a different account on BlueSky. I'll figure this out. Uh, but If you find us on Twitter, you can uh Tell us how we should use Blue Sky, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was:
0: In honor of the Equalizer three in theaters this weekend, what do you think is the most underrated Denzel Washington performance? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.
1: Now go.
0: No.
1: Falling down, falling, down,
0: falling down. I'll tell you when I'm done. Wonder where to find.
2: Poopa, poopa. Wonder where to find my fair lady. I'm done.